We are reading today from Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your love and kindness. We are so thankful, God, for the way that you love us. We're so thankful for the way that you meet us, Lord. And we ask that even this morning you would continue that good work in our midst. That today, God, you would change us. Even through a passage like this that I'm sure, as Kristen read it, many of us thought, what on earth is going on in this passage? Does it have anything to say to me or to do with my life? And I praise you, Lord Jesus, that the answer to that question is always and unmistakably yes. And so this day, Lord, please keep going. Speak to our hearts change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So a question for you this morning as we get started. Who would drink this water right here? If you would, you're nuts. You you can always tell college kids, right? (laughs) Of course you would drink this water. Of course you wouldn't drink this water. Who would eat this strawberry right here? Yeah, not so much, right? How about this? Who would would drive across this bridge? No? No. Okay. How about from this angle? Which one of these strawberries best represents the kind of person you would want to be friends with? Or the kind of friendships you would want to have? How, How about this? Which one of these glasses of water represents what you would want your marriage to look like, to be like, to feel like. Which one of these bridges looks like the character of a person that you would trust with your kids? You following the point? You getting this? The bottom line is this, integrity matters. Integrity matters. Without integrity, there is no intimacy. Without intimacy, there is no authority. Integrity 
matters. This morning, as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Acts, we're going to unpack this notion of integrity and see just how much it matters. And if you're already doing the math as to the the passage we read, yes, that's where we're going to go. Integrity does matter. Remember last week, here's what we talked about, that growing as a Christian is a process that challenges our practices with firmly rooted principles. It is a process that challenges our practices with firmly rooted principles. Remember, we talked about if you want to get tall and big and strong, you need deep roots. But the purpose of deep roots is so that you can actually grow and produce fruit that without those deep roots, you had no possibility of actually producing. So the challenge for us is, hey, are we actually going deep in our faith? And are we willing to change as we explore more and more of the deeply rooted principles that God has for us, and we apply them to our context in terms of our practices. So this morning, here's where we're going to go. True spiritual authority is directly proportional to our integrity with Jesus. True spiritual authority is directly proportional to our integrity with Jesus. Three points, a picture of integrity, a mixed bag, and a call to walk in authority. So first, a picture of integrity. I want you to realize that what's going on in our text for this morning as it gets started is ridiculous. From 21st century scientific standpoint, it's ridiculous. It says that they're taking rags. Now listen, Paul was a tent maker. And so when he would make tents, it would get hot. And he'd have a rag around his waist and he'd have a rag around his head. They would be sweaty. And then he would take them off and throw them to the ground because he's going to go wash them, right? But they were taking these sweaty rags over to people who were demon-possessed, who were sick, who, who had some sort of malady, and they were getting cured simply by touching the rags. How many of you have ever seen something like that before in your entire life? Right? Not many of us. Maybe online there was someone raising their hand, but not many of us have seen this, but I want you to know it's been all throughout the scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 6, the call to the prophet Isaiah, the tattoo that I have on my arm is from Isaiah chapter 6. It's when it says Isaiah has this vision of heaven opened up, and he says he sees the temple of the Lord, and what comes down and fills the temple with glory just the train of God's robe. And what happens when Isaiah is in the temple with that robe is he is healed. Inner healing, fear is gone. And he is called to go and proclaim a word that God told him from the beginning, no one's going to listen to you. You think you've got a tough job? Could you imagine being called to a job that from the beginning God has already told you it's not going to work? But I want you to be faithful because there's a bigger purpose here than you can see. Spend the rest of your life seeing no fruit and watch what I do through you. That's Jeremiah. That's Isaiah. That's Isaiah. Right? And so we see that in Isaiah chapter 6. We also see it with Jesus in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus is walking through the crowds, remember? And there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And no doctor can help her. And it says that this woman basically crawls her way to Jesus, touches the edge of his robe, and is healed immediately. Who does Jesus look like in this picture, right? Who is he declaring to be, but also who is he saying is inside of him at that point? But that same Holy Spirit, right? Mark chapter 7 and chapter 8, we get to the other side, the, the crazy side. If you read the Gospels, some of them are really nuts, right? So here, here you have Paul's sweaty rags. In the Gospels, you have Jesus' spit, Jesus literally spits in a dude's ear, and he, his, his hearing is returned to him. 
And then he spits in his hand and puts it on a, on a guy's tongue. And his mouth opens up and he could speak again. Gross, right? I mean, it's gross, but what's not gross? Because what he's showing is that he has come to actually restore all of creation. That the creator who created as part of himself is coming to restore everything that's broken. But then it gets weirder. Because you see, it's, it's not just God the Father. And it's not just Jesus. But it's those that Jesus calls to follow him. And specifically, we see in the book of Acts, here with Paul and his sweaty rags, but also Peter. Where How many times in the Psalms do we hear, Lord, let me find shelter in the shadow of your wings. It's in the shadow of your wings that I am safe and whole. Right? It's Psalm 17. It's Psalm 63. It's several other Psalms. The shadow of your wings. Well, it says in Acts that Peter would walk by and if people were simply in his shadow, they would get healed. Nuts! That kind of power grabs everyone's attention. That kind of authority declares to everyone who's watching there's something different about this king and this kingdom. But I want you to realize it wasn't just them. It's not just Jesus. It's not just the apostles. This is the calling and the promise to us as well as the church. John 14 says, you're going to do even greater things when that same Holy Spirit fills you and I send you out. Greater things than those? Yes. Why? Because we're on the other side of the resurrection. We are those who are walking like Paul, like Peter, with that same Holy Spirit. It's one thing to say, well, Jesus was God. He did God-type stuff. It's another thing to say, Peter the fisherman, because he walked by and his shadow went on someone and they were healed. Paul the murderer, because they took his sweaty do-rag and touched someone, they were healed? Yes. Yes. And that same living water that came out of Jesus is promised to us. For anyone who puts his faith in me, out of him or her will flow streams of living water. Now, please hear me. If I see you spitting on one another after the service, we're going to have words, okay? That's not what I'm saying here. I'm not encouraging you to spit on one another. What I'm saying is the illustration, the, the same principle Maybe slightly different practice. The principle is the one of healing. That we are called to be a house of healing. That we are called to be a people of kingdom. Where life pushes out death. Where wholeness pushes out brokenness. It doesn't mean every time it's going to work. It doesn't mean we're, that we're all, we, we should only have health and wealth. Do not hear that. We need to have a robust theology of suffering. Because God meets us in our suffering. And God transforms us in our suffering. And we learn to, to actually rely on Jesus in our suffering. But from a place of dependence, God wants us to pray bold prayers and to live bold lives. And when we do that, we're going to see bold and amazing miracles. He sent out the 12 in Luke 9. The 72 in Luke 10. And our book, Acts, begins with him sending out the church. And every time with that same Holy Spirit. And every time with the same instructions. You are to preach the gospel. You are to cast out demons. And you are to heal the sick. Friends, where the gospel is preached only. And there is no manifestation of the power of the kingdom. We are missing something. 
namely him. But where the gospel is preached and there are manifestations of the inbreaking of the kingdom, the world around us changes. That's what our passage is all about for today. Because you see, Peter and Paul, they have a unique calling on them, right? Some of you are already thinking, well, that's because they're apostles. That's why they did those crazy things. Yes, but don't miss this. They have a crazy calling on them because God has called them close to him in their, uh, their intimacy, in their integrity. God has told us from the beginning when he gave the big ten, you know, the ten commandments. What's the first one? You shall have no other God beside me. It's just me. And then the very next chapter, when he declares the great Shema, Hero Israel, Shema Yisrael, what? The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. He makes it clear from the beginning that he wants us to have integrity in our relationship with him so that we can go deep in intimacy and from that place walk in authority. He brought his disciples down that path in kind of a fast-forward kind of way, training them directly for three years and then letting them fall on their faces one by one as he was crucified so that he might pick them back up when he was resurrected, fill them with the Spirit, and send them out as maniacs for Jesus. And every one of them gave their lives for him. People who want to say, oh, Christianity, the resurrection never happened. Christianity is ridiculous. Who would do such a thing? Yes. Who would give their lives for a lie? If they knew they were lying, if the disciples made it all up, if this was just a big hoax, would you die for a lie? Would you give up everything for a lie? Would you pursue your enemies to love them and share about this Jesus if he was a hoax? Of course not, friends. But if you turned your back on your best friend and watched him get slaughtered in front of you and you thought you had no hope and then three days later, he's walking around with you and telling you, you missed it. I told you this day was coming. Everything forever now has changed. Receive the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't stop for anything or anyone from sharing that news, friends. That is the good news of the kingdom. That is what it means to be a Christian. That is what it means to be the church. And it's why it matters that we don't have Jesus plus something else. There are no affairs in the church of Christ. Syncretism is a fancy way of saying this. When we say, oh, I'm Christian, but I'm going to add a little bit of this to it. A little salt and pepper of the, of the community around me. I don't like this stuff about God, so I'm going to take this part of it and the rest of it I'm going to leave over there. Friends, you're having an affair on Jesus when you choose to do that. In the places where you say, I'm in control, I'm going to be the Savior, you are thinking you're following Jesus, but you're following in the exact opposite direction. You left him a long time ago. You just keep using his name, but the person you're referring to is yourself. Beloved, do you hear the call to integrity this morning? To a place of saying, I don't want to have affairs Emotional affairs are just as bad as physical ones. Ask anyone who's been in a marriage 
who's lived through an emotional affair. When you give your heart to something other than your lover, your beloved, your spouse, you have taken from them what belongs to them and you have robbed both of you of the very purpose of your marriage. Our marriages on earth are only ever meant to be a window, an approximation of the glory and wonder and echadness, oneness that we are to have with God. And when we give our hearts to other things, that's the reason why we miss him. That's the reason why we feel shut off from him. That's the reason why we feel like our prayers don't land. That's the reason why worship is not something where we're like, I need more, I need more. We're just like this. Yep, yep, I'm here, I'm here. Because we have been cheating on him all week. And then we come here and we're wondering, does he see? Beloved, he sees. But hear this. He will never leave you. He has not called you here to shame you. He has called you to set you free. He will never leave you. Let today be the day you give him your whole heart. And then watch what he does in you and for you and through you. Intimacy is the key to unlocking authority. Realize that the the context we've already begun unpacking the last two weeks in Ephesus is a pagan context where you see spirits, demons, idols called Artemis and others, where the Artemis spirit has already infiltrated the church and the entire community. And in order to understand why Paul writes what he writes, we need to understand what's going on in that context The Artemis spirit, remember, is a response to the oppression of women with the oppression of men. You use the weapons of the enemy to try to overcome the enemy. And guess how many times that works? Zero. Never. Nada. Ever works. You cannot overcome darkness with darkness. You can only overcome darkness with light. And so you overcome evil with good. And so the allure of the Artemis spirit, which, friends, is all over our culture right now, is the power of women is going to squash the man that we don't need, and we're going to be independent, and we're going to look down upon things like childbearing, because that's weakness. Weakness? You grow a human being in your body. It feeds off of you completely the entire time and then it's born and you nourish it until it's big enough to have whole foods. Weakness? That is the most godlike thing in the entire universe. But we're duped when our culture says, you don't need that. That's, that's you giving into the system. The system? Which one? The one that wants to divide? and squash and fight or the one that says we have been made equal but a man is not a woman and a woman is not a man equivalent equal but not equivalent is rather equal but we have different things to do in this world and together we make a a union that looks a whole lot like God and that creates and that fills the world with his glory Beloved, let's open our eyes 
to the deception that's going on all over the place. And let's, as a church, not just all souls, but even broader as the church, let's take our stand and let's say no to the culture around us that wants to blur those lines and wants to teach our children to blur those lines. Let's say no, because this only ever leads to the exact opposite of what it promises. It is not towards truth or life. And you see, in the, even in our text for this morning, what happens when you take some of the world and you try to mix it together with the God of the Bible, right? In the sons of Sceva. And we're going to unpack what that looks like in a little bit, but I just want you to notice that this wasn't just a, a Gentile Greek thing. It was also a Jewish thing because these are the sons of the high priest and they're itinerant exorcists is what they're called. What the heck is that? You have a little badge like exorcist. My name's Will. I'm an exorcist, right? Like I cast out evil demons. Can I tell you, friends, that when you cast out evil demons by any name other than Jesus, you do not cast them out. Please do not miss this. All you do is appeal to a higher form of darkness that quiets the one that you're used to feeling. And so it feels like you've received freedom, but you have not. You've actually been bound to a much higher and more powerful darkness than you were before. The only name under heaven by which we can be saved and set free and made whole is the name of Jesus. So friends, with what we see happening in our passage is actually more demonization, more people not being freed by the sons of Sceva, but by actually being more and more oppressed because they don't know Jesus. And even when they see the power of Jesus, kind of blows up in their faces, which we'll get to in a second. But I just want you to see, remember the, past, the, the, the uh, question we asked last week. Who is Lord and Savior? You remember they used to call Artemis in Ephesus. Artemis, our Lord and Savior, right? And in Rome, who do they call Lord and Savior? Caesar, Caesar, my Lord and Savior. Jesus is coming and saying, you've got it all wrong. All of these wannabe gods all of these want to be saviors. They're only ever there trying to steal your attention away from me. And I'm going to unpack all of that for you. I'm going to expose it all. And he did that on the cross. But I want you to see, Jesus plus Artemis equals female power, and that never ends up well. Jesus plus Aphrodite is sexual power and pleasure, never ends well. Jesus plus Zeus, ruling power and provision, never ends well. Because Jesus plus anything is not Jesus. You are sacrificing the very Savior you thought you were adding to when we choose Jesus plus. I want you to see from our passage that everything I just said, even the demons know. I hope you didn't miss that. The sons of Sceva come in and they're like, by the name of the Jesus that Paul knows, we're casting you out of this dude. And the demon speaks back to them. Now, some of you, even with me saying that, you're just like, this place is weird. They believe in demons. Yes, we are. But I want you to know something. To the degree that you don't, you're only ever going to be beat up by them. If you believe in God, who is a spirit, and God himself says there are fallen angels, demons, then it kind of behooves us to continue to unpack a theology of what it looks like to interact with the darkness there and how to protect ourselves and set ourselves free from that. 
Because friends, an enemy that's behind you and constantly stabbing you in the back that you believe doesn't exist is an enemy that's already won. So the demon in this passage says this, I know Jesus and I'm familiar with Paul, but I have no idea who you are. And one dude beats the living crap out of seven guys. I want you to hear this. Angels and demons are far more powerful than we are. If you ever get into an altercation with someone who you know is demon-possessed, do not engage them physically, ever. They will mess you up. But can I tell you one thing? Trying to use Jesus rather than acting out of love for Jesus only ever gets us beat up by the darkness. Trying to use Jesus rather than acting out of love for Jesus. What do I mean by that? It's the Jesus sprinkling. I'm going to sprinkle Jesus into the plans that I have. I want to use his power for my purposes. And we think that that's going to help us. Let me give you an example of what that looks like specifically with regard to this stuff. Because we don't think about it as demonization, but it oftentimes is when we feel shame and fear. Right? So we've been talking a lot about God hear, us hearing the voice of God. And us leaning in and, and trying to pray for healing and doing that and watching as God heals. And praying for freedom for those who are demonized and watching as God frees them. But you know what happens when we are syncretists, when we've been having an affair on Jesus and we try to pray those prayers? Do they work? No, they don't. They don't. And what ends up happening when they don't is we feel shame. Now, shame is, is an experience of the heart. But shame is also the name of a demon. So that spiritual attack on you, because you're already starting from a tough place, you know what it does? It just starts to spiral you down, right? So now I feel bad because it didn't work. My prayer wasn't answered. So now I'm back over here and I'm going after something else because I feel like God has betrayed me. When who's the one who's having the affair? Do you understand? Like when... when Husbands and wives, if there's a husband who's cheating on a wife, you know what the husband oftentimes does to the wife? Accuses her of having an affair. You know why that is? Because they've all, the husband has already broken the oneness of that relationship, so he's functioning from a place where there is no trust, there's no integrity. And so from that space, he's now judging his wife as if she's also living in that space. And she's not, but he is, which is why he must be afraid of what she's probably doing because it's exactly what he's doing already. How many of us are doing that with the Lord Jesus Christ right now? Where we say, God, I've tried. I've leaned in. But what we've actually done is protected our hearts and leaned in a little bit. But we've got all these other lovers in our lives, all these other idols and gods. So we step in a little bit and then we get really mad when it doesn't work. And so we step back and we say, you're not faithful, but who's not the faithful one? You're not true, but who's not being true and honest? Do you see? It's a trap where the darkness just keeps beating us up because we've started from a place of infidelity, of a lack of integrity in our relationship with the Lord. The same thing's happening to the, with the church in Ephesus in our passage for this morning. 
the end of the passage that Kristen read for us, you see that there's 50,000 pieces of silver, it was translated, but it's a drachma, right? 50,000 pieces of silver is a drachma is a day's wage in that culture. And so if you do the math, it's between 12 and 15 million dollars worth of books. 12 or 15 million. Coming from, please don't miss this, the houses of the Ephesian Christians. That's a lot of magic books, friends. That's a lot of generations of darkness. That's a lot of households getting beaten up every day because they wanted Jesus as Lord and Artemis as Lord. And they missed the fact that when we try to have both, we miss both. But when we have Jesus, we conquer, we conquer, we conquer the darkness. Hallelujah. Friends, where are you having an affair on Jesus? Where is there in, not integrity in your relationship? Where is there a lack of intimacy, a lack of walking in authority? We, we know this doesn't work in other relationships, but somehow we think it's okay for us to do it with God because in our country, one of the things we prize ourselves on is our independence. Can I tell you, you've never been spiritually independent one day, one second your entire life, ever. The one who made the earth to tilt on its axis is the one who gives you oxygen for your very bodies, is the one who says, okay, you're allowed to breathe again. We've never been independent and we never will be. The issue is, are we willing even today to engage with this God who's been calling us to himself forever since the day we were born? And to be honest about the things that have stood in the way, our fear that has driven us, our wounds that have driven us to a place of spiritual affairs, syncretism, where we say, oh yeah, I'm, I know God, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping God. But we're actually not. We're using him and the other forms of God in our lives to worship ourselves. How's that working out for you? When I do that, I blow everything up. It's the exact opposite of what I actually want. But so often I feel stuck because of the weight of the accusation, because that spiral that we just talked about, when you get stuck in it, you feel like you're drowning, you don't know how to get out. That's why God's given us one another, to help each other out of that spiral, to speak words of truth, to pray into that, but to also bring one another to the foot of the cross where there is healing and deliverance. Which is our third point. Because friends, when you come to Jesus, like Paul, like Peter, and you actually give him your heart, not perfectly, but you're going after it. And when he convicts you, you say, yes, Lord, I repent. Let's keep going. I want you to have all of me, all of me for all of you, not hiding anymore. Suddenly, the demons have no answer for you. Jesus, I know. Oh, and I've heard of Paul. What? I want them to hear of Will. I want them to hear of Dan. 
I want them to hear of George. We've heard of you guys. You're darn right you have because we're standing in the truth, proclaiming it with our lives and then living it out together. I want the kingdom of darkness to shake in its boots because of what God is doing here. And let me tell you, it already is. It already is, friends. When we walk in integrity in our relationship with the Lord and our intimacy deepens, we walk with authority where demons are cast out, where broken lives are made whole, and where the lost, where those who don't know Jesus are found. We see all of those things in the church in Ephesus in our passage for this morning. But you know what we also see? We didn't read this portion, but I'm going to tell you about it. The very next section in the book of Acts talks about this guy named Demetrius, a silversmith, who is, he makes idols of Artemis. And he gathers all the other idol makers in that community because Paul's been there now for two years. And it says all of Asia has heard of this Jesus. And so many are turning to Jesus that, listen, the idol makers for Artemis are going out of business. They're going out of business. So Demetrius gathers them all together and he says, guys, we know we made our riches by making these idols. But Paul is telling everybody that idols made by human hands aren't real gods, which, wink, wink, we already know. But idols made by human hands aren't real gods. We're, they're going to put us out of business. And oh, by the way, they're also dishonoring our great Artemis, right? It comes in that order in the passage, right? You can see where their real hearts are. They're using Artemis and any other god they need to use to worship themselves, and it says they, they put the whole town in an uproar and there's a mob and they try to violently squash Paul and his friends. But they cannot and they do not. But I want you to hear again freshly, when the church of Jesus Christ takes a stand against the lies of the liar, the darkness of idolatry, the, the allure of spiritual affairs, the world around changes. So here's the question for us. There's several. The first is this. Where is God calling us to integrity? Where is he calling us to integrity in our relationship? A clear glass of water, not one that's muffled with our junk, with our fear, with our yes but, our Jesus plus, where is he calling us to live faithfully with him? We all have those areas. There is, listen, I said it already, I'm going to say it again. He is not challenging us with this because he wants to shame us. The enemy of your souls wants you to think that that's what God is saying to you. And I declare before you today as his mouthpiece for you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And in Jesus' name, I declare the truth over you, which our God only convicts so that he can make you whole. Amen. He is not shaming you. He is changing you. Holy Spirit, rest upon us. We sang it before. We're asking him to do that work. Fire of heaven, fall down again. We're asking him to do that work. Did you mean it when you sang it? Because if you did, watch out. He's going to answer your prayer. When he does, you need to give him your yes. Okay, Lord, even there. Ah, but I don't know how to do that. Okay, that's why you're part of a church family. We help each other. But Lord, I'm afraid. Okay, that's why you're part of a church family. We help each other. 
But Lord, I feel so stuck. I'm, I'm spinning out of control. Okay, we help each other. That's why you're part of a church family. Do you see? Where's God calling us to walk in integrity? Secondly, what people in our lives does he want us to help set free? Because we're a what again? Family. We're a church family. It's what it means to live life together. You're not alone. You've never been alone. Ever. God does not want you. In fact, he, he, he does not call you. He calls you to the opposite kind of living. That we live this life together. Because otherwise, we're going to be stuck and stay stuck. Who are the people in your life right now that he wants you to make a difference in their lives? Integrity. And then being there for one another, right? Or does he want us to help set each other free? But then the last question. What systems or idols in our world does he want us to help take down? Now, friends, this week there was a movie that came out called The Sound of Freedom. If you have not seen it, please go. Let today be the day. Let tomorrow be the day. Go see it again. Go see this movie. Here's why. Sex trafficking is the fastest growing criminal enterprise on the face of the planet. Second only currently to the drug trafficking, but it will overtake drug, drug trafficking already if it hasn't already. The crisis we have at the border has multiplied this issue for us 500 times. No, 5,000 times. 5,000 times worse because there is no policing of the border. Because the, the, we're, we're not vetting any of the people who are going to help place our children into safe homes. And so what safe homes are they putting our children into or those children into? Not safe ones. Sex trafficking in our culture is something that is driven, please don't miss this, not by the nudie bars, not even just by uh, going out and, and hiring a prostitute. You would think, because those are the worst parts. That's part of it. You know what the number one driver for sex trafficking is? Pornography. Pornography, friends. And so when you think about life and where we're at in life and where we're at as a culture, when everyone jokes around like, 99% of all guys look at porn and the other 1% are lying. Ha ha, that's so funny. That's not funny. There are real lives that are impacted. Children who are stolen from their homes and put into an industry where they are completely annihilated. Many of them will never fully recover because of what they're going through. This is a system that is growing in our world. And you know what the, where the number one place, the, the most consumers of child pornography and everything else that comes after that is? What country would that be? The United States of America. That is terrible, friends. We are sacrificing our children and turning a blind eye to this system that is completely connected because there's tons of money in it, friends. So much money in it, friends. And it's not just sex trafficking. It's also labor trafficking that our kids are caught up into. But it's also, don't miss this, organ harvesting. When you can steal little kids and you need a kidney or a liver or a heart or lungs, and you just take it from them because they don't have any power to actually resist that. All forms of human trafficking, when it comes to anyone, but specifically our kid, guess who we're worshiping then? 
ancient God of Molech. That God strictly forbids his people from worshiping because he says, here's what you're doing. You're taking your children and sacrificing them in front of you, burning them alive for the promise of your pleasure and prosperity. You're going to tell me Molech doesn't exist? Molech still lives, friends. And the spirit of Molech is all over our culture and our world. And as a people, today is the day to say no. Today is the day to say no. And please, some of you are going to be upset with what I'm about to say. Please do not miss the connection between this whole thing and the abortion industry. When you are taking babies out of mothers and then harvesting their organs to sell them to other people so there can be research for medicine for you or there can be organs for you or there can be different kinds of uh, growth hormones that you want to get because these little babies have them, we are sacrificing our babies to Molech. As the church, not just here at All Souls, but specifically here at All Souls, it is our duty it is our responsibility to take our stand and say no. It doesn't mean we, don't, we hate our enemies. It doesn't mean that everyone who's ever had an experience of an abortion or who's ever looked at pornography is the worst thing ever. No, we pray for one another. We're a, what is the word again? Family. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We hold each other accountable. But we walk this path together. We create safe space for those who are in recovery. But friends, we need to open our eyes to the reality that there is an ever-growing darkness around us that is absolutely idol worship in our world, full of power and money, where we say our children are worth the sacrifice. And today, I say, no, they are not. Amen. Friends, will you stand with me? Amen. Will you stand with me in this? I'm asking you to get out of your seats if you'll stand with me. <laughs> and I want you to look around because this isn't for show, friends. Here's some things that we can actually do together. As a church, we already support an organization in Nepal. Do you know that in Nepal, the life expectancy or the, 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 the uh, percentage of kids who actually live past 12 years old is only 50%. Do you know why? Because it's so dangerous living on the side of the mountain, number one. But number two, which is actually probably number one, more kids are trafficked from Nepal than anywhere else. So you have all of these kids who are being trafficked out of their home because they're being stolen because they live on the side of this mountain. We support Commit Nepal. It's a Christian organization that saves these kids and then rehabilitates these kids. And we say hallelujah. We also support International Justice Mission, which does it broadly in the entire world, trying to do the same sort of work. If you're saying, yes, I'm going to stand against this, yes, I'm going to do my part, it means not doing things like looking at porn. Right? It means not doing things, listen, like supporting Planned Parenthood. It means taking those funds and putting it into places like this that are going to actually do this work and caring for the least of these and saying to Molech no and to Jesus, yes. Let me pray for us, friends.
Come, Holy Spirit. Come right now, Lord God. Today, right now, Lord God, we need you. And I pray for your anointing over every person in this room and those online who are watching. You have called us, Lord, to a thing that, is, that can be scary apart from you. To a calling, Lord, that is swimming upstream against our culture and against the powers and principalities of this world. But you have called us to do this according to your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, you reign. You reign. And so I pray for anointing on every person in this room right now. Fall, Holy Spirit. Fall, Holy Spirit. Come, show us our part. Is it to give our finances? Is it to volunteer our time? Is it to write letters? Is it to, to, to pursue those who have come out of these, these abusive industries and to be a part of the hands and feet of, and the love of Jesus? Whatever it is, Lord, would you show us our part? But God, I thank you for opening our eyes. I thank you for giving us this courage to even stand together. The only way is through, and the only way through is together. So God, fall freshly upon us, even this day. Minister to us as we ask this, these big questions. Let us not forget, Lord, that the first challenge was to integrity. So it's not looking outside of ourselves to those bad guys over there but looking inside of ourselves to the places where we have lived the life of the bad guy, where we have cheated on you, Lord Jesus. And even today, you're welcoming us to confess our sins, for you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even today, you're calling us to wholeness. Speak, Lord where you want us to hear your voice for our integrity, for the care of others, and to walk in the authority you've called us to. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray.